In fact, it's going to be on the on the uh, starting to say scoreboard. <laughs> it's going to be on the overhead for you. Let's just read it together, okay? Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endures forever. Verse two: Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He has redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Verse three and gathered out of the lands from east and from the west, from the north and from the south. I want to speak to you today on the subject, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Amen. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, at this very moment, we need to hear from you. We're asking you to speak and abide with us, Lord, and commune with our spirits and change us and shape us in the precious name of of your son Jesus, amen and amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise for his word. You can be seated. Humanity can be divided into four categories. There are those that neither are redeemed nor say so. There are those that say so, but are not redeemed. There are people that are redeemed, and yet they do not say so. And finally, there is that category of those that are both redeemed and say so. Before we can study about what it means to, for the redeemed of the Lord to say so, we first have to discover what it means to be redeemed. Redeemed simply means to buy back. That's what redeemed means. I've shared before the little story of the elderly gentleman whose house was robbed. And they got quite a bit. They stole his television. Uh, they stole some uh, coins that he had collected. They stole various electronic items around. They stole the cat, what little cash he had. But none of that mattered to him. What they stole that was most precious to him was a little eight by 10 silver, tarnished silver frame beside his bed that had a grainy black and white picture of his wife when she was just a teenager. And his wife had passed away earlier that year, and every night he went to sleep staring at the picture of his wife in all of her youthful splendor. That was the only thing that really mattered to them. And the police could not find anything, but he, for a solid year, searched. Every time he went to town, he searched one little uh, pawn shop after another trying to find that picture in that tarnished, that faded picture in that tarnished picture frame. And finally he found it. And he looked at it and his voice was almost trembling. His hands were almost shaking when he pointed to it behind the counter and asked the man that ran the pawn shop, how much will you take for that? And the pawn shop owner, uh, owner had been in it long enough to recognize when somebody really wanted something. As he remembered, he only had given about $5 in pawn for that picture frame. It was 
pretty worthless. It was, as I said, tarnished and, you know, it was more silver-plated than anything else. But he saw that he wanted He said, well, how much would you give me for it? The man reached in his wallet, and in his wallet he had three $100 bills, and he handed out shaking and handed it to that man. And as he left that pawn shop and clutched that faded black and white grainy picture in that tarnished silver-plated frame to his chest, as the bell rang behind him as the door closed, the pawn shop owner thought to himself, what a fool to buy that trash for $300. But as the man walked down the street clutching that to his chest, he thought, what a treasure. That's what it means to be redeemed. We were all in the pawn shop of humanity. We were on the slave market of sin. We were on the trash heap of society. Others may have looked at us and thought that we were not worth a whole lot. Maybe even friends and family might would have turned their backs on us. But God looked down and he didn't see trash. God didn't see a grainy picture in a tarnished frame. God saw something that was worth more than what any man could give. When we look at others as we are want to do and we start seeing the fall the falls faults and the flaws that they have and we see warts and all we see their actions that are despicable to us and we're so quick to turn our head away and think well they're just trash that's all remember that they like you were worth the precious blood of the lamb yes. it means to be bought back Romans 7, 14 says that we were sold under sin. Romans, uh, 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 so it says that we were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold or even by the religious conduct that we went through, the traditions of our fathers. What we were redeemed by was the precious blood of the Lamb who was a lamb without blemish or spot. What does it mean that we are redeemed? Well, first of all, to be redeemed means that we have been delivered from something. Second of all, it means that we have been delivered for something. We've come out of somewhere and we have been placed somewhere. We've been translated out of darkness into his marvelous light. And it means that we have been forgiven for our sins. And this is exactly what Colossians 1, 13 and 14 says. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of his son, of his love. And in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. He is our redeemer and we are the redeemed. When John the Apostle had been dipped in burning oil and that did not kill him and he'd been placed on the Isle of Patmos uh, in exile and he woke up on that Sunday morning and no doubt his bones hurt and his, his arthritic knees were crickety and all of those things and instead of looking at the, at the sparseness of the rocks around him, he turned his eyes toward heaven and he said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and on that day, I saw the Lord 
and his eyes were like fire, his feet were like brass, out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and the Lord began to peel back not only the, the um, pages of history, but the pages of the future yet to be written. He began to show him a panorama. And one of the things that he saw looking up into heaven was that all of heaven was weeping because there was no man that was found worthy to open the scroll, open the book, open the title deed where planet earth had been sold into sin. And there was no one worthy. And he said he began, John said of himself, I began to weep and cry like a baby. But all of a sudden the angel said to me, weep not. The line of the tribe of Judah has prevailed and is worthy to open the book and read thereof. And John said, when I looked to behold the line of the tribe of Judah, what I saw was a lamb that had been slain from the foundation of the world. And then the four and twenty elders and the four beasts that were around the throne begin to sing this song found in Revelation 5 and 9. They sing a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and has made us kings and priests to our God and we shall reign on the earth. That's the song we'll sing in heaven, the song of the redeemed. Sweet is the song I'm singing today. I'm redeemed, I'm redeemed. Trouble and sorrow are all passed away. I have been, I have been redeemed. Oh, I'm redeemed by love divine. Glory, glory, Christ is mine. All to him I now resign. I have been redeemed. I wonder if there's anybody in the house that's been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. There are those that are neither redeemed nor say so. They don't claim anything. They don't claim that they know the Lord. They don't know the Lord. They're lost in their sins. I hate to say it. I don't mean to be crude. But they're on their way to a devil's hell. They're on their way to an eternity of torment. Many of them, perhaps most of them, are living in torment in this life. They are like, like sheep without a shepherd. They're tormented by life. They're adrift on the waves of life. They're not redeemed and they don't have the testimony of the redeemed. Why aren't they redeemed? Why can't they say I'm one of them? Perhaps it's because they have never heard the good news. There are millions, in fact billions of people on planet earth today that are in parts of the world where no missionary has ever set foot. No Bible has ever been translated into their language. There are people groups throughout the world that have still, after 2,000 years of propagation of the gospel, they still have never heard the good news. But you think, well, far away, there may be people that, and are people that haven't heard. But it might surprise you to know that maybe even in your neighborhood, there's some little children that have never been to Sunday school. 
There are people that have been raised that have only heard the name of Jesus in a swear, have only heard the word God in a curse. They have never really heard the good news. Perhaps those that are not redeemed and cannot say so, perhaps they've heard, but they've never really understood. It is not watering down the gospel to communicate the gospel in simple, direct terms. Sometimes we take that that is simple and we tend to make it complicated. It doesn't take us long to start using Christianese, sophisticated words. In fact, we, we're the world's worst sometimes in using loaded words. In fact, sometimes we use words and we use phrases that we all know what we're talking about, but nobody else knows what we're talking about. If I were not a Christian and didn't know anything about the Christian faith and the worship leader stood up and says, let's all just go crazy for Jesus, I probably would not have a good idea of that church. But we do that kind of thing all the time. Here's one that people do all the time. They say, well, I'm not religious. I'm a Christian. I'm not religious. I know what you mean. You know what you mean. But to the world, they don't have a clue what the difference between being religious and being Christian is. When they say you're a religious person, they don't mean it as an insult. They mean it as a compliment. Perhaps they have heard, but they've not understood. Perhaps they've heard... And perhaps they've understood, but perhaps they've never believed. And I want you to know that I do believe that the scripture provides a balanced view between the responsibility and the work and the moving of God's spirit in the process of salvation and the free freedom of choice, the freedom of will that man has. And I'll be honest with you, I don't know where God's part leaves off and man parts picks up and all of that kind of stuff. I just know that the, the scripture affirms both. But I will tell you this. Those of us that have been redeemed, we were not redeemed because we were smarter than everybody else. We were not redeemed because we were better than anybody else. We were redeemed because God in his graciousness allowed the scales to fall from our eyes and allowed us to see him for who he was and that mixed with the faith, his grace, we're not saved by faith even, we're saved by grace through faith and even that's the gift of God so that we cannot glory that we were smart enough to choose him. I don't know who wrote the song that said I kept on searching till I found him, but they better back up and read the Bible one more time. You didn't even know you needed him until he searched the highways and byways. He was the good shepherd that went out into the desert and found you and put you on his shoulders and brought you into a loving relationship with him. Amen. We pray and operate sometimes waywardly, not meaning to. We think that all of our all that our lost loved ones need is more light. And so every chance we get, we try to give them more light. And we are frustrated that they can't see what is so obvious to us. But can I tell you that to a blind man, light does no good. 
It is not that our lost loved ones need more light. It's that they need sight. And that only comes from the Spirit of God. And so while it's good for you to talk to them about God, what will do even more good is for you to talk to God about them and ask God to open their eyes that they can see so when you do share the gospel and shed the light, they'll know how to walk therein. There are those that are not redeemed nor say so because they've never heard or they've never heard and understood or they've never heard or understood or believed. And sadly, there are those that have heard, they've understood, they've even believed, but they've made a conscious decision to reject that that they know to be true. There's none so blind as he who will not see. There are those that are willfully ignorant of the ways of God. There are those that have been raised in the church pew and they prefer darkness to light because their deeds are evil. Jesus came unto his own and his own received him not. There are those that simply reject. I've watched movies about rescues at sea where the, the uh, coast guardsmen would dive into the raging water to pull a drowning person to safety. And that person in their panic would fight against the very one that was trying to save them. And there are people that know the gospel and they're going down for the third time and the final time. And the precious spirit of God is reaching out to them to drag them to the safety of the shore. And yet in their rage and in their sin, they fight against him. There are those that are neither redeemed nor say so. And then there are those that say so but are not redeemed. There are those that have a profession but they have no possession. They have confessed, confessed but they have not converted. They have a testimony but that testimony won't stand the test of time. There are people to, that claim to be redeemed but are not redeemed. There was an old song that said this, your talk talks and your walk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. Right? Let me say it again in case you meant it. Your talk talks and your walk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. In fact, James said to us through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it's not those that are the hearers of the word, but it's the doers of the word that will be saved. Jesus issued this warning in Matthew 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. And many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, done many wonders in your name, and then I will declare to them, I never knew you depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. There are those that say they're redeemed that are not. There are those that are deceivers. They deceive men. Some deceive themselves or they deceive others for their own self-righteousness. They are what the Bible calls hypocrites. A hypocrite, the word hypocrite uh, came to mean the person who acted on stage. 
You know, our early actors put on masks and they wore the mask. They wore the disguise of the character that they were playing. And a hypocrite does that. They put it on when they're around God's people. They take it off when they're around the devil's people. Their religion is something that is easily removable. They can put it on the shelf and pick it up any old time that they want to. And Jesus talked about these hypocrites in Matthew uh, 6, 2, and also verse 5, and also verse 16. He said, therefore, when you do your alms, don't sound the trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say to you, they have their reward. And when you pray, verse 5, you won't do like the hypocrites do, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues, in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. But I say to you, they have their reward. And he said in verse 16, moreover, when you fast, don't do like the hypocrites do. Be a sad, sad countenance, disfigure your faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say to you, they have their reward. There are those that say they're redeemed that aren't. In fact, there are those that are not content simply to be hypocritical in their own lifestyle. There are those that for ill-gotten gain are false teachers. I want you to, to set the stage for you. I don't want to hold you too long, but the Apostle Paul was going to Jerusalem. The Spirit had revealed to him that in Jerusalem awaited imprisonments and, and chains. But as he was going through sailing on the coast, he stopped at a place called Miletus, and he called for the Ephesian church that was several miles inland. He called for those elders of that church to meet him there at the, at the uh, seashore. And there was weeping and crying because they knew they would never see him again in the flesh. But Paul had some last words of instructions for those Ephesian Christ, uh, Christians. Acts 20, 28 through 30. Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock of which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers to feed the church of God which he's purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. And also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things and draw away disciples after them. Paul said to Timothy that there would come a time where there would be teachers and people that had itching ears would heap to themselves teachers to tell them what they wanted to hear. The people that claim to be redeemed that are not. They are deceivers. And then there are those people that are deceived. And of course, here's that scripture I referenced, 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust, they shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Matthew 7, 15, Jesus said, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are raving wolves. There are deceivers and there are those deceived. And the deceived believe and have been taught that there's no judgment coming from God. But Galatians 6 and 7 says, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that will he reap. There are those that teach and those that believe that there's no such thing as sin. There's just flaws. There's just psychological issues. There's just problems. Nobody's perfect. They refuse to call sin, sin. 
But here's what 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11 says. Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Pretty plain language that if you live those kinds of lifestyles, you're not going to go to heaven. It's there in plain language. You say, well, that's a long list. How can any of us be saved? Thank God for verse 11. And such were some of you. I'm glad that Jesus came to give us a used to be. Amen. That I'm not stuck being what I was. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. I read an account this week in a magazine about a Christian rapper that for many, many years she uh, lived a lesbian lifestyle and she was bound to that lifestyle. And when she was 19 years old, the Spirit of God got a hold of her. And she said, it hasn't been easy and there's been temptation and there's been the pull to the old lifestyle, but the Lord has continued to help me to grow and she's married and got two beautiful children because she realized I'm not defined by what my own desires say I am. I'm not defined by what the world says I am. I'm not defined by what Satan says I am. I'm defined by who God says I am. Amen. Amen. There are those that say they're redeemed and are not because they've been taught that it doesn't matter how we live. This is an Old Testament scripture, but I believe it's a New Testament principle. Ezekiel 18, verses, verse 20, and then verse 25 through 28. The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. Verse 25, yet you say the way of the Lord is not fair. Hear now, O house of Israel. Is it not my way which is fair and your ways which are not fair? When a righteous man turns away from his righteousness, commits iniquity, and dies in it, it is because of the iniquity which he has done that he dies. Again, when a wicked man turns away from the wickedness which he committed and does what is lawful and right, he preserves himself alive because he considers and turns away from all the transgression which he committed, and he shall surely live and he shall not die. The Lord's saying in plain language, what are you living like right now? Who are you following now? Not what you used to be, not what you used to do. How's your relationship with God now? Well, there are those that are not redeemed, neither say so. There are those that are uh, say so and not redeemed. And then sadly, there are those that are redeemed but do not say so. There are those that have accepted the Lord Jesus, but they won't tell anybody about it. They're embarrassed or ashamed or they're quiet. They probably chalk it up to, that's just not my personality. It's amazing how many quiet people can get excited at a ball game. There are some of you ladies that are just meek and mild. 
but you let somebody cut you off at Walmart and get your parking space, you'll see how meek and mild you are. People that have no volume in their praise for God can have great volume in their curses of meaning. In 1995, uh, Trinity Broadcast Network aired uh, a program that was about country uh, singers and musicians that were Christians, and they gave it the title, Silent Witness. Now the producers, Ricky Skaggs is one of the producers, and he's a wonderful Christian guy. The producers' intent was a great intent, but their title was an oxymoron. Silent witness. There's no such thing as a silent witness. To witness means that you're not silent. We've got too many silent witnesses. Now listen, God is not asking you to be the judge, he reserves that right for himself. Thank God he is the judge and I'm not. He is not asking me to be everybody's judge. He's not asking me to be their jury or their executioner. God is not asking me to be the prosecuting attorney. In fact, it's Satan that's the accuser of the brethren. God is not even asking me to be his defense attorney to the world. Christians err sometimes when we try to justify the way that God moves or does not move to lost people and feel like that it's our responsibility to give the answer to things that only God knows the answer to. Sometimes it's better to say, I don't know, but I trust him. But God's not calling us to be the judge. He's not calling us to be the prosecutor. He's not calling us to be the defense attorney. He's asked us one thing. He said, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses into Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. He's called us to be his witness. I'll be honest with you, I'm a little worried about the group that is redeemed but refuses to say so. Because Romans 10 and 8 says this, the word is near you, it's in your mouth and in your heart, the word of faith that we preach, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God's raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confessions made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. In fact, Jesus himself said in verse 32 and 33, Therefore, whoever confesses me, of Matthew, therefore he confesses me before men, him will I also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him will I also deny before my Father who is in heaven. You know, one of these days, according to, to uh, the book of Philippians, one of these days, every knee is going to bow. And every tongue's going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But I don't want to wait until I see him come as the judge to confess him. I want to fall on my knees right now and confess that Jesus is my Lord and my Savior. How many are redeemed and you don't mind saying so? Amen. And then there's that final category, those that are both redeemed and say so. 
Paul was one of them. In Romans 1.16, he said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation to the Jew first and then also to the Greek. For 2 Timothy 1, 7 and 8, he said to Timothy, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me his prisoner, but share with me the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. There was a blind man who Jesus came upon. He was blind from his mother's womb. His disciples pointed him out to Jesus, and Jesus, they wanted to have a theological debate about his problem. That's the problem with a lot of Christians. We're more interested in trying to answer religious questions than we are trying to help people in trouble. Jesus said, I, basically, I don't have time. He wasn't, it wasn't him or his parents that sinned. It's that the glory of God may be seen. And Jesus called him and he sped in the ground and he made mud in the clay and put it in his eyes and told him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. And when he did that, he was telling the news and the religious people came to him and said, don't you know that that's a sinner? And you know what that man said? He, did, he didn't even know he didn't even have the right theology. He didn't really know who Jesus was. He said, well, whether he's a sinner or not, you're going to have to figure that out. Here's all I know. I was blind, and now I see. There was a man that laid at the pool of Bethesda for 38 years, and when Jesus saw him, he said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And it was on the Sabbath day. And he's going through town carrying his bed. And the religious people said, it's unlawful for you to carry your bed on the Sabbath day. But that man dug in his heels. He wasn't able to dig in his heels just a few minutes later, earlier. But now he dug in his heels and he said, I'm not that concerned about your law. All I know is this. The man that healed me, he's the one that said to me, take up your bed and walk. And here's what Jesus said to the redeemed. Any man that will follow me, let him take up his cross, deny himself, and follow me. And listen, when that man carried his bed, that bed represented his sickness. And when you and I carry our cross, we don't carry the cross of Christ. The cross he died on wasn't his cross. It was our cross. It was our sin. We're the ones that deserve death. When we carry our cross, we carry the fact that we used to be bound to sin, but now we've got victory over it, and we're carrying our cross, and I don't have to fuss about how heavy it gets. I walk in victory and enjoy. I, I openly come up under the naked scandal of the cross, and I say to those, the one that saved me, the one that set me free, the one that healed me, the one that loved me, the one that redeemed me, he said, carry the cross, and I openly say I'm one of them. I'm a Christian. I'm born again. I'm part of the blood-washed band. I am redeemed by love divine. Amen. Stephen, the very first martyr, they finally stoned him because he looked up into heaven and he said, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Now, the Bible plainly tells us that when Jesus ascended to the Father, 
that he sat down at the right hand of God. But Stephen, whose name means crown, Stephen said, I see you standing at the right hand of God. You know what that tells me? When you stand up for Jesus, he'll stand up for you. He won't let you down. Christians in the first and second century under the hobnail Mel Buddha of Rome. They, Rome didn't, didn't really bother Rome that they were worshiping a different God. They, Romans, Romans had gods for everything. Here's the problem they had. Once a year, they were asked to go to the central square or to a coliseum somewhere and take a pinch of salt and throw it over their shoulder and utter the words, Kaiser es curios, Caesar is Lord. They wasn't saying Caesar's God, although later they did attribute deity to the Caesars, but that's not what they were saying. They were just saying Caesar is the absolute ruler. And Christians said, you know what, I'll be the best citizen Rome's got up until you ask me to say that there's a Lord in my life other than Jesus. And they wouldn't say Caesar's Lord. They'd say, no, Jesus is Lord. And they would take their children and dip them in tar and hang them on stakes and set them on fire to light the arenas while those early Christians were being fed to lions on the floor of the arena. Because they said, there is no Lord in my life but Jesus. Polycarp was a disciple of the Apostle John. And he was made the Bishop of Smyrna. And persecution came. And they said to him, Polycarp, if you'll deny the name of Jesus, you won't be martyred. By the way, the term martyr, all that it means is witness. That's, that's the Greek word for witness used throughout martus. It's where we get martyr. So a martyr is somebody who is a witness even if the witness means laying down their life and giving their life. Old man, Polycarp said this. Eighty-six years I've served him. And he's never done me nothing but good. Why should I deny him now? And they set the fire around his feet. And according to church tradition, God intervened and the fire laughed all around him. But the fire didn't come near him. So somebody took a spear 
and ran it through his side. And as the blood was oozing out of his body and the life was oozing out of him, he looked up to heaven and he said, I want to thank God for the privilege of drinking the cup of suffering like my Lord. There are those that are redeemed and they're not ashamed to say so. Now with this we close. I heard a preacher, as I was preparing for this, I heard a preacher that talked about the word so as the ultimate argument. You've watched your children. Maybe you did it when you were a child or maybe you did it this morning, husband or wife that you get in a war of words. I often tell people, don't get into a battle of wits with me. You're unarmed. <laughs> and you start trading insults and the other person gets the best of you. And you don't know what else to say, so you say, so? Like, oh yeah? You know, like the two little boys, one of them said, my daddy's bigger than your daddy. He said, well, my daddy's stronger than your daddy. He said, well, my daddy's got more money than your daddy. He said, well, my daddy's smarter than your daddy. And the other little boy said, well, my daddy can beat up your daddy. And the other one said, so, so can my mama. <laughs> <laughs> but Cameron learned that so didn't have to be the last resort. It could be the first response. Because Cameron loves, Cameron's the sweetest, sweetest young to everybody except Katie. But it has to come out to somebody. So he reserves all of his picking to Katie. And boy, he knows what buttons to push and what bell to ring and what string to pull. And boy, she gets tired of it. So she tries every once in a while to get it back on Cameron. She'll say she'll come up with a good slam, good cut down. She'll say something to him. And Cameron will look at him and say, so? And you got nowhere to go after that. When somebody doesn't take the bait, so? I remember hearing about football players. There was one that was a little, little kind of fast guy. He, he stood about 5'10". He weighed about 175 pounds. And, uh, you know, he wasn't a tiny guy, but he, he, he was just a fast little scat back. But there was a player on the team, a lineman, that stood about 6'5", weighed about 275. And this little guy, he loved picking on that big, dumb lineman, you know. He'd just say smart things about him. He'd talk about his mama. And one day he was really getting after him. I mean, he was embarrassing in the locker room in front of everybody. And finally, that big old lineman had enough. And he tightened his knuckles till they were wide around the, the guard of his helmet. And he walked up to that little old scat back and drew back and just hit him right on the side of the head with that big old helmet. It knocked him into the locker and it kind of dented the lockers in. And it knocked him out. TKO, he was out. And that big old li uh, lineman looked down at him and said, So? And I want you the next time that the Bible tells you or that the devil tells you how sorry you are, just say, so. The next time he accuses you, say, so. You remember Job? Job's first response was, so. When they told him your cattle are dead, he said, so. When they said your children are dead, so. Your riches are gone, 
so. You've got wounds from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet, so. Your wife says, curse God and die, so. Your old friends say you're a sinner, and that's why bad things are happening, so. Job's own testimony, Job 19, 14 through 20, he said, my relatives have failed, and my close friends have forgotten me, so. Those who dwell in my house and my maidservants count me as a stranger and I'm an alien in their sight. So, I call my servant, but he gives no answer. I beg him with my mouth. So, my breath is offensive to my wife. I've heard that one. So, and I'm a repulsive to my own children of my own body. So, the young children despise me. I arise and they speak against me. So, all my close friends abhor me, and those whom I love have turned against me. So, I, my bones cling to my skin and to my flesh, and I've escaped by the skin of my teeth. So, how could he say so? Because he knew something that they didn't know. Because here's what he said in verse 25. I know my Redeemer liveth, and he shall stand at last on the earth. And after my skin's destroyed, this I know that in my flesh I shall see God. I know whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another, and my heart yearns within me. You can look at the circumstances of life, you can look at the accusations of the devil, and you can say, So, because I know my Redeemer living. Why is it important for the children of God, for the redeemed to say so? Revelation 12 and 11 says that they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. I'm redeemed by love divine. Glory, glory. Christ is mine. All to him I now resign. I have been redeemed. Would you stand? Father, thank you today for the reminder from your word, oh God, that not only have we been, been redeemed, but we have the privilege and the responsibility to say so. Lord, I'm not ashamed of the gospel I'm not ashamed of your people I'm not ashamed to be called one of them God I want to tell the world I want to tell everybody by the grace that God's given on me I want to tell them Jesus saved me Jesus forgave me Jesus redeemed me and he'll do the same thing for you I wonder if there's somebody here today that's willing to say, I'm redeemed. I wonder if there's anybody here who's been washed in the blood of, the Je of Jesus and you're not ashamed about it, that'll lift your hand and say, I'm redeemed. Hallelujah. Every head bowed, every eye closed, and Christians are praying. If you're here today and you're in that first category, you're not redeemed. You've not accepted the price of his blood. You're not able to give that testimony. You're honest about it. You're not trying to be somebody you aren't. But you're not redeemed and you know it. Would you be honest enough to lift your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. I'm not saved, but I want to be. Lift your hand if that's you.
Maybe you fall into that category that you've been saying you are, but you know your life hasn't been living up to that. There's not the fruit of God's Spirit in your life. There's the works of the flesh and not the fruit of the Spirit. And you want to get right with God today. Lift your hand and say, you know what? I want to be right with the Lord. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. When I give this altar call, I want you to come and I'll meet you in the altar and pray with you. And we'll get right with God. Now, look at me. You've been so kind, so responsive inside the four walls of this church in this service to say with other Christians, I'm redeemed. But how many wants that passion and that power when I'm out in the world to be able to stand and proclaim lovingly, yes, but boldly, I'm a Christian. I'm redeemed. How many wants that power? I'm opening the altar to all of you as well. Let's come and seek the Lord together. Come on, sing for us.